Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. I'm going to talk about lifelong learners, being a lifelong learner. And we're going to look at some people in Berea who were. So Lord, your sweet presence, your, the freedom that you bring, the, the yoke that you lift off of us. The, Lord, we're, uh, all of us are living in, a, in, in interesting times. And yet when we worship together, you come and you lift the burden. And we see you and there's a freshness and a hope that stirs in us. And tonight, we welcome that presence to open the word to us. Lord, it's your word. You're the discipler. I am not. You are the model. I am not. And we ask God that we would see your beloved son, that he would be glorified in our eyes, and we would become like him. Teach us your word tonight, and I ask for for the grace to let you speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's uh, start at Acts chapter 17. Start at verse 10. And we'll go down through verse 15. This chapter has three cities in it. It has the city of Thessalonica, and we have seen that. And then it has the city of Berea, we're looking at that. And then it has the city of Athens, and we'll see that another time. Paul has gone to Thessalonica. We we see that there's not a lot of verses about Thessalonica, but when you open the book of Thessalonians, which, which was literally written weeks after, uh, or, or, or no more than two months after this was written, uh, all kinds of things get filled in. And so we enjoyed Thessalonica and saw how powerfully God was there working in that city. But Thessalonica had opposition, and, and uh, synagogue leaders rose up, and they formed a mob. If you recall, they went into the marketplace and paid a bunch of the people that hang around markets to, to start yelling and screaming and, and uh, getting angry. And uh, if you pay them enough, they're happy to do it. And uh, they then formed this nucleus that drew people, and the, mo- and the mob began to move across town. And they had to get um, Paul, they hid Paul and Silas, and... Um, but they put a bond. They made the people post bond, all the Christians that they could get a hold of uh, with the city. And they said, if there's any more trouble, uh, you forfeit all this money. And um, so basically Paul and Silas had to leave that city uh, way before Paul wanted to. In fact, you see in his letters and actually he'll send people back later. He, he did not feel that Thessalonica was ready to leave. This was not his idea. He was being forced out. Um, but, and he will take care of them. They become a great church. Uh, we saw what a powerful church. They become a church that influences the whole of Macedonia, the whole of central Greece. Uh, they're, a, they're a great uh, church, even though all of this hardship was there. Well, when Paul and Silas fled from Thessalonica, they, 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 they took them somewhere where they thought they wouldn't get caught. Um, the big Roman highway that runs from the from the west coast of Greece there, uh, across from the, the boot of Italy, 
that runs all the way to the Straits of Istanbul. That highway is called the Via Ignatia. They've been traveling on that. That's the main highway. It's a marble-covered highway. It's a beautiful thing. They got off that, and they sent them to a little backwater place called Berea. You can see it today. I was on Google Earth. Uh, you guys do Google Earth? You, you, yeah. Um, I, in fact, I was looking for, for, for Greek, a map of ancient Greek roads. I couldn't find anything you could see. My wife said, well, of course not. They're old. <laughs> so I went to Google Earth, and I just, I just get down on that thing, and I can see all the footpaths and the farmland. Okay, this is where it was, and this is where it was. So I had to use Google Earth to basically figure a lot of this out. But they took them to this place. It's now called Vuria, but it's the same place yeah, there in Greece. And they took him to this little town, and, and Paul and Silas start working immediately. They don't wait at all. They just go right into the synagogue and start all over again. So that's where we pick up, right here at verse 10. The brethren, when they say that, they mean the church. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. See what I mean? Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness. Would you say great eagerness? eagerness. Examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Why don't you say examining the scriptures daily? To see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men, but when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy, to come to him as soon as possible, they left. Let's look at our text. Learning is hard work. Anyone who's gone to school knows that. Using our brains is like exercising a muscle. It grows tired when it's overworked and weak when it's left idle. The school system in our country requires us to study until we reach a certain age. And many people will keep on studying for a few years after that in order to get a better job. But sadly, in the minds of some, once they're through with school, the season for pushing their brains to learn new ideas comes to an end. The assumption is we've had a lot of information poured into our minds during our school years, and after graduation, we enter the season of life when we draw on that pool of information whenever we need it. The problem with that approach, of course, is that our memories decay over time. And if we don't keep using the knowledge we learn, we soon forget most of it. We may have gotten an A on the final, but six months later, we can barely remember half of what we once knew. You, you know the experience? Isn't it amazing? I mean, you, you had it down, and six months later, you're going, no, well, let me just see now, here now. Oh, I can't remember that. Uh, maybe some of you can, but, but I sure can. You might think spiritual knowledge is different from this, but it's not. We quickly discover that as soon as we stop going forward in our knowledge of God and his word, we start sliding backward. I'll say that again. We, as soon as we stop going forward in our knowledge of God and his word, we start sliding backward. 
it seems there's no plateau. It's either uphill or downhill. In spiritual matters, just like any other area of life, it takes self-discipline and hard work to keep going uphill, which is why some people stopped learning a long time ago. Growing spiritually simply required more than they wanted to give. Did, did, did you get the impression ever that, that going on in the things of God didn't require work? I was actually taught that when I was young. Um, I heard sermons about how the priests in the temple, in the tabernacle, didn't wear certain kinds of clothing so that they would sweat. And so the theory from that was, see, you don't sweat. Serving God never should require you to sweat. So if you sweat, you're working, and so there's no work in it. My problem is, I... <laughs> Apparently, I don't know what the ministry is. Uh, I do know people that don't sweat, but they're not much good either. Don't you? You kind of look like you're, like you're laboring along and you're sweating and you're thinking, why don't you help me sweat here? Why don't you roll up your sleeves and start working with me? There are people who just kind of go into neutral and whatever happens, happens, but there's no moving forward. There's no leaning forward. There's no rolling up the sleeves, and working on my spiritual development. But there are others who have the necessary attitudes, an inner motivation to keep going, to keep growing, excuse me. In fact, some people are still growing when they die. Now, let me tell you one that just was also a lot of fun. How many remember Betty Guillory? All right, but let me tell you who Betty Guillory was just a minute. She, at one point, back when we had a governor in the state of Washington named Dixie Lee Ray. Anybody remember that? Yeah. And Dixie Lee Ray, she, she was Dixie Lee Ray's cosmology, cosmetology director. And, and so Dixie Lee Ray actually had a program where she decided to work with the cosmetology. You know what that is? Hairdressing and all that stuff, yeah. It's when I have my nails done at cosmetology. Yeah. Yeah, my next pedicure. <laughs> um, so there have been no laws in the state of Washington to be a cosmetologist. You just got licensed and did to people whatever you, you could get away with. And, um, and, and it, it really bothered Betty. And so even after you know, she, was, she was no longer holding that responsibility and all, she decided that it was not good, it was not healthy, there was a lot of sanitation issues and all of this kind of stuff. So she starts writing uh, examinations and putting together classwork and a whole system of requiring for licensing of cosmetologists in the state of Washington. They didn't ask her to do this. She simply knew the channels. And so she takes this stuff and she starts pushing the state of Washington. Going, you have got to have a licensing system. And then she's coming into me going, pray with me, Pastor, pray with me. You know, so I'm believing God that no more of these pedicures that aren't licensed is going to happen. <laughs> and I make light of it, but actually there's all kinds of stuff that can happen. Has already to my own family. Um, so if you, if, if you knew her, Betty was always doing something new. She was either writing a book, uh, which she did, at least one. Uh, she was believing God for some new miracle. Even when she's, I mean, she, how old was she? Was she 94 when she died? 99? Okay. So Betty was here like weeks before, before she died, you know. She's in a wheelchair. She's rolling up going, Pastor, believe God with me. 
and we're believing for something because God's given her fresh revelation and she's moving forward. Uh, she was more fun. She never got old. Her body did. But she was always growing, always leaning forward, always learning something new, always believing God for something. That's an attitude, people. And the people in Berea had it. There's, there's something we can have where we keep growing right to the day we die. Literally, Paul will talk about, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. So even when my old body finally gives up, my spirit should be getting stronger and wiser and, and more loving and more Christ-like day by day by day right till I step across. You following this? That kind of individual never puts limits on themselves. They don't decide they've outgrown the season for learning. And in every case, they're not mentally lazy. They're willing to put in the time and energy to investigate a matter. They're always reading something. They're always stretching spiritually to walk at a deeper level with God. You might suspect that someone like that was motivated by pride. But they never are. Proud people decide they already know way more than they need to and stop growing early. Let me tell you how pride works. You know, usually you'll see somebody come to Christ and then they'll go through a burst of growth. I mean, they know they, they, know they don't know anything. They're humble and, 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 and realize I got so much to learn. And they'll, they'll learn. They'll go through a season of learning. And then you can just see it in people. I mean, it's a, it's a critical moment in people's lives. They'll come to a place where they stop and they go. It's like climbing a mountain and they look back down and they go, wow, look how far I've come. I'm ahead of you. <laughs> and people come to a place where they decide, I think I've learned enough. I think I'm mature now. I think I've got it. And at that point, you stop, you're done. The minute you decide you are really wise and really have arrived, you're through growing. And you, it's pride. So proud people don't keep growing. Proud people just hit a certain level and then look down on you. All right, let's go back. In order for someone to keep growing for a lifetime... They must be willing to work hard year after year, decade after decade, and people only do that for one reason. They're driven. Would you say they're driven? driven. Yeah. And I think the only force that can drive someone for a lifetime is love. Not even hate has such power. Hate will wear out. A person can fall so deeply in love with something or someone that they never feel they know enough or have drawn close enough. And there are people who love God like that. Paul met some of them in the city of Berea. Now I'm going to take two of the verses, verse 11 and 12, and I just want to go through those. You've got it right there in front of you. Verse 11, I'll read it fresh. Now, these were more, mine says, more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, these Bereans. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women 
and men. All right, now again, let's hear that verse, those verses. Luke says the attitude of the members of the synagogue in Berea was far more noble, well-born is literally what he says, than the attitude of the synagogue leaders in Thessalonica. The root of the problem in Thessalonica was that the leaders felt their income and influence was threatened. It didn't matter to them whether the gospel was true or not. But in Berea, the members of the synagogue were motivated by a desire to know the truth. So they listened carefully to what was being presented and then examined for themselves each passage of scripture that Paul and Silas presented. Luke says they, quote, received the word with all eagerness. And that means a keen, active mind. And daily examined the scriptures to see if it, and this is it, if it might have these things in this way. See what they were doing? They're looking at the word. He's telling us that they approached the gospel with a combination of open-mindedness and caution. They were open-minded in that they were hungry to know as much as they could about God. And humble enough to acknowledge that there were truths they did not know yet. Are there truths you don't know yet? Or are there truths that you could know a whole lot deeper and a whole lot better? Yeah, this is the way it is with God. You and I will never arrive. You know, I remember saying one time I was, when I was a youth minister, I said to my group, I said, we're going to study the book of Thessalonians. And one of, my, one of the gals said, I don't want to read that. I don't want to study Thessalonians. I've already read it. And I thought, well, there's more you could probably know about it. You know, you'll find that the ways of God are that you go deeper and deeper and deeper into the basics. When someone's out like a space cadet trying to figure out some weird thing on the periphery, that's pride. It's mental pride. But the men and women of God who are being led of the Spirit are getting taken deeper and deeper and deeper into the basic things of God. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does it mean to be a loving man or a loving woman in the Lord? How, how do, what does forgiveness mean? How, how, do I, how do I move in the power and authority of Christ? You know, they begin to go deeper and deeper and understand these things so they become real in their lives. That's where God takes us. It's, it really is like peeling an onion. You never arrive uh, this side. You're always learning more if you will let that happen. He's telling us they, uh, open-mindedness and caution. They were open-minded in that they were hungry to know as much as they could about God and humble enough to acknowledge that these truths uh, were truths they did not know. There were truths they did not know yet. They were also cautious, meaning they knew they could be deceived if they relied on their own feelings. My generation had a, there was a song, you know, and it said, uh, how could this be wrong if it feels so right? Remember that? And, and, and we had a motto, if it feels good, sure. That's how you tell whether something's right or wrong. Works so well for us. How's that for a North Star? It, 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 how could this be wrong if it feels good? What a, what, a, what a ridiculous, what a ridiculous thing to say. But we, we actually, people guided whole lives by it. There are, there are, there are people that this, this was the way we made our decisions. And, and, and how do you decide whether something's true? Well, is it true for you? Does it feel right to you? Does it doesn't feel good? I don't like that. Doesn't feel good. So I don't, that's not my truth. 
My truth feels good. Hmm. In their minds, the Bible itself, in the minds of these Bereans, was the final authority, so they engaged in diligent study, undoubtedly reading each passage in its context to see if these visiting preachers were accurately presenting what each passage really intended to say. And that honest hearing was all Paul and Silas asked for or needed because the fact that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead is indeed a truth taught in Scripture. And once that truth is acknowledged, it becomes obvious from the historical facts about Jesus of Nazareth that he is the Christ. If you can see in Scripture that the Messiah was to, was to suffer and die, that he was not just a king who would come and set up a glorious kingdom and, and, and vanquish all of the bad people and gather all of the good people and bless everybody, he will do that. But there are clear passages saying that this son of David, this, this one would suffer and take our sins upon him and be crucified. If you could see that in the scripture, uh, then you just look at the thing. You just read, read Psalm 16 or 22 for heaven's sakes. And he goes, well, that's Jesus. I mean, if you read those passages to the average person on the street, and I, I know somebody who did this. They took the passages you know, took away all the scripture references and just said, listen to this series of statements. Who's it talking about? And they stopped people on the street. People who had no religious background, whatever. And they just read it off. And people said, watch, well, Jesus. Everybody can see it. This is obvious. So all you have to do is come to that conclusion. And then you're talking about Jesus. After much careful study, many in that synagogue believed, including a significant number of Greek women and men who were highly respected in that community. Three cities are described in this chapter of Acts, chapter 17. Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. And there were people in each one who believed the gospel when Paul preached, but there was a notable difference in the attitude of the leaders in each city toward new ideas. In Thessalonica... People with money and influence who wanted nothing to do with change. Have you encountered that? There are people who have reached a place, their place in life is, is, is comfortable. They have money, they have influence, and they don't want any ideas to come in that might disturb the status quo. They're on top, <laughs> and they don't want anything that might put them down below. So they'll fight. I, I've been in, I've been in, I can remember a church situation far, far away, long, long ago. Um, and the Lord began to have a, a, a Holy Spirit renewal in this church. And I, I, people who had just began to come alive and, and uh, God was moving so powerful. It was beautiful. It was nothing to not like. <laughs> people are coming to church. Children's program is packed, the youth are coming, the men's group, the women's group, the, everything's starting to go. Man, there was a few people that I had never laid eyes on. Apparently, they were on the roll uh, of that church, but uh, they came and they were absolutely livid that this stuff was going on in their church. You think, why? What's wrong with revival? But it was disturbing the status quo. That isn't what the church was for them. Church for them was, I don't know if they paid money or built something. I don't know why. 
but they just begin to go to war. People will viciously oppose new ideas if those new ideas are going to take something away from them of money and influence. So you've got a situation that the synagogue of Thessalonica has high, wealthy, powerful people coming. And those wealthy, powerful people started going over with Paul and meeting, you know, every day in some group with Paul and Silas. Leaders are going, man, we cannot have this. It wasn't about, is it right, is it wrong? It was about, we're not losing that money and those people to that passing rabbi will kill him. It was as simple as that. That's, by the way, what happened to Jesus. But the leaders, becoming jealous, says, and taking some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. Some people like things the way they are and will viciously fight new ideas. Number two, Berea, people who want to know God better. These were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Some people are hungry to know more and willing to study hard to learn. Why don't you read that with me? Some people are hungry to know more and willing to study hard to learn. And then there's Athens. We haven't come there yet, but uh, I read ahead just in case. It says, people who are proud and love to judge new ideas. Some people just like to hear novelty. They want to hear it and critique it. And that's what you had going in, in Athens. Uh, listen to this. Now, all the Athenians and strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So the fun is just have people come and share new ideas. We'll judge them. No, we're not going to do them. We're not looking for truth. We're looking for amusement. We're bored. We're bored. Tell us something fun to hear. They judged everything by their own experience and ability to reason. Now, did you notice that? Do you decide what's true by your own powers of reason? If it doesn't make sense to you, is it false? If it does make sense to you, is it true? Is that how you decide? Lots of people do. Lots of people do. No way they're going to believe something that doesn't make sense to them. All right? So the gospel appeared to them to be foolish. Compared to others, Berea was a very small city located in an out-of-the-way place. But the Bereans are the ones who model for us how to grow spiritually. Instead of resenting the new ideas they were hearing, they listened carefully to what was being said and then went to work examining each passage of Scripture to see if they had missed something. Notice how submitted they were to the Word of God. They didn't ask if it made sense to them. They asked if the Bible really said that. Because if it did, they were going to believe it regardless of the backlash it might bring. You know, you have to decide what is your authority. What will you believe? And you say, well, I, I want to know for certain. Honestly, you won't know anything for certain in that way. If you're talking about kind of a scientific, mechanical certainty, you don't know that I'm really standing here and I don't know you're really sitting there. I mean, how do I know you're not a dream? How do you know I'm not a nightmare? <laughs> See? 
You know, you may laugh at this, but you know there's whole philosophical schools that spend a lot of time trying to figure this out? Yeah, one, one philosopher went, went at real length over this. How could he prove that we weren't just figments of one another's imagination? That we just did, how, do, how do we know that we existed? And he determined, well, let's see. I think, therefore I am. Oh, something had to think. To... So he spent his lifetime deciding, I exist. Now, you could shortcut that. <clears throat> You know what? You know how I, I actually I thought about this, and I thought, so how do you? How would I prove it? I mean, what would I do? My thought is, the Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, so they exist. See, I I've decided. Have you? I've decided that the the Bible is a God breathed book. I've decided that it's, it's my authority in all matters of faith and practice that I will tr- seek to obey it and I will seek to learn it the rest of my life, that it teaches me the truth about the true God. Now, what if I'm wrong? Well, what if I am? I'm going to die and so are you. So I go into eternity having th- thought <laughs> naively and stupidly that God was loving that he wanted me to be righteous and pure, to stay faithful to my wife, to, to work hard, to speak kindly to people, to tell the truth. Oh, man, I blew it, didn't I? I could have, I could have had so much fun on this planet because I'm really a wonderful man when I take away all my restraints. Yeah. I, I'm, the world could have experienced me in the raw. And here I was deceived into thinking that there was a God who would hold me accountable and had its standards and wanted me to live this way and he forgave my sins and all that stuff. And then I died and rotted with the worms ate me. But you died and you rotted and the worms ate you too. So my grandfather years ago said, you know, I can't prove this. He said, but I do know this. It's the smartest thing any human ever, any, anybody ever came up with. Find something better than the Bible. Look at what it does to people. Look what other books do to other people. It has tested itself. People have lived this book for thousands of years. And it has produced good things in them. It keeps people married. It has them raise their children. It gets them off of drugs. It causes them to come into community and work hard. It's the kind of thing that makes them speak the truth. It makes them apologize and ask forgiveness when they've done something wrong. It has been doing that to people for for millennia. You can look at the fruit. You can test it. I've decided. Now, I didn't actually come to a decision saying, I'm going to believe God because I believe the Bible. I actually met God. And I knew he was real, and this was his book. And so for me, it's been a fairly simple deductive process. I'm I'm serious. And I know that everybody can't maybe say that, so I don't want to just push my experience on everybody else. But I met him, and I knew he was real, and this was his book. And and I met him in power, and he certainly could do stuff. He proved that to me right off the bat. So I didn't have a hard time going, well, miracles, huh? Okay. However you come to the conclusion... You have to have an authority. If your authority is only you. It's your feelings. It's your reason. 
you will follow a predictable path. And that's what the, the, the Bible teaches. That's what the world shows us. The Bereans are the ones who model for us how to grow spiritually. Instead of resenting the new ideas they were hearing, they listened carefully to what was being said and then went to work, exam notice, examining each passage of Scripture to see if they had missed something. They, how submitted they were to the word of God. They didn't ask if it made sense to them. They asked if the Bible really said that. Because if it did, they were going to believe it, regardless of the backlash it might bring. And you can be certain they fully understood what was being presented wasn't what they'd been taught as children. Don't think this is a bunch of hayseeds that haven't a clue that when they believe in this Jesus, it's going to cause any trouble. These are Jews. These are men and women that have been raised in synagogue all their life. They know the Torah. They've memorized. They, some of those will have memorized the whole Torah. They will sing most of the Psalms by memory. They will, they will hear the prophets read every week and have large chunks memorized. They know these are biblically literate people. So when these two rabbis show up and start saying, you missed something. You missed something. Don't tell me they don't know this is going to cause a stir. And it did. When they went back and looked, but when they went back and looked with fresh eyes, it was as if someone had written new passages in their Bible. Why had no one ever said anything about this before? How could we have missed something so important? When I was in college, and this was like the second time I had dated Mary. Uh, never mind. <laughs> Lord had spoken to me over that summer, and I had actually had a, a little bit of a vision thing. And uh, he, he just had pointed her out to me. So I had... Um, I actually think maybe this is the first time. Maybe it was the second, but it was really right up there. And, and uh, no, it was the second. I had, I had met her at, at this dance. Never mind. And uh, the next week, I asked her to go to whatever the event was with me. And we were walking down the, this is at St. Olaf College. It's, a, it's in, the, it's in the southern Minnesota, out in the cornfields. It's actually a very beautiful place. And we're walking through the, this, this campus, and uh, we're talking about I don't know what. We had actually talked about God, like the first date. I said, she, she said, I said, what were you doing today? And she said, well, I was out walking in the cornfields. I said, what were you doing out there? She said, I was talking to God. I'm thinking, hmm. <laughs> yeah. I said, what did you say to him. She said, I, I wanted to know if he existed. <laughs> and <laughs> so anyway, I, I, I like this, this person. And so we're walking along and she says to me, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She says, have you ever heard about speaking in tongues? Now, look, I had done that since I was 12. I'm, I, was a, I was a closet weirdo. Uh, and in those days, I was Pentecostal when Pentecostal wasn't cool. Come on. I mean, I know what it is to be asked to leave a church program. I mean, I've, I've, 
I know you. If, <laughs> so anyway, so I'm walking, we're walking along and she says, what do you know about speaking tongues? I, I just said, oh God, I don't want to tell her. I like her. This is the end. Why did you have to ask that question? So I'm thinking, oh, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. How do I say this? And I said, well, I said, do, do, do you believe the Bible? She said, well, yeah. She, she was a, a Lutheran pastor's daughter. Yeah. And uh, I said, um, well, it's in there. No. I said, yeah, it is. No. I said, she said, where? I said, well, like 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and 14 and stuff. <laughs> really? Yes, it's in there. Look for yourself. I will. That saved me at the moment. <laughs> she did. She went home and she got her Bible out and she, she came back and she said, who put that in my Bible? She said, I have been in church all my life, and I have never seen that passage. How? I didn't even know it was in there. Well, that's selective learning, isn't it? Selective teaching. What I'm suggesting is that's exactly what was happening there in the synagogue in Berea. They've been raised all these years, and no one had said, so who is this suffering Messiah in Isaiah 53? Who is this one in Psalm 16? Who is this one? Who, he's, who they will look upon him and who they pierced. Who is this? And they are, so they're hearing this. And when Paul preached the gospel, by, you want to know what happened? I realized I left you hanging. So anyway, I, I stayed fairly cool. I just, I, I, I said stuff and talked a little bit about it. What had happened was I had actually uh, a, f a month, few months, a month or so before this, or uh, weeks before this, I had prayed for a, for a fellow who came to my door. He came to my my my, my dorm room and knocked on the door. Said, "I I hear you speak in tongues and baptize in the spirit." I don't know how he heard, because I'm not a talkative guy. Um, but I said, uh, "Can we step outside?" And and I prayed for him, and he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He then starts wit witnessing to his girlfriend. And so he leads his girlfriend into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, who's talking to my future wife about the baptism of the Spirit. This is how the questioning all gets. Well, anyway, so thank heaven she prays for her. And Mary just decided to go out and have a time with God and see what would happen. And she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I didn't do it. You, my my in-laws need to know I didn't do it. Forty years later, they love me. Yeah, but um, yeah, it took a while. They, they did. Yeah, they passed away now. She hadn't seen it in scriptures. What I'm suggesting is there's all kinds of material that you haven't seen and I haven't seen. The, the, the things of God are hidden there. There's, I mean, hidden in plain sight. In fact, I'm reading a book right now that's talking about witnessing um, to the Muslim people. There's a huge move of God going on with Muslim people. I had no idea. This is, not, this is not phony baloney. It's remarkable. And they said, we are using principles that are hidden in plain sight in the Bible. And they are. They're bringing stuff out going, why didn't you see that before, Steve? 
And, and they're just doing what it says. That's the way it is with God. That onion keeps getting peeled. That the truth keeps getting layered back. And you keep going deeper. Paul and Silas were two faithful. These are Jews. They never stopped being Jewish. They didn't become Christians. They, start, they just pulled the veil back saying, look our Messiah. Look who he is. And these other Jews there in, in Berea go, why, they're right. You're right. Somebody put that in my Bible. They received it eagerly. Say it, received it eagerly. Because they were hungry to go deeper in God's truth and know him better. They examined it carefully. Say, examined it carefully. For them, the word of God was the final authority and they believed it obediently. Say, believed it obediently. Regardless of the price they might pay. And they did pay one, big time. Jesus didn't hide the fact that some of the things he taught were new revelation. He didn't just explain old truths. Do you know that? He said, I want you to read this with me. Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Jesus saying, if you follow me, you are going to be teaching things that are old, precious treasure, notice treasure, uh, you're going to take out of the Old Testament scriptures, that's the laws of Moses and the, the prophets, beautiful old treasures you're going to be teaching. And you're also going to be taking out of your treasure new things that I teach you. Something greater than the Sabbath is here. Someone greater than David is here. You, you aren't following this? He wasn't just one more teacher. He's, he, he, had the, he had the wherewithal. He is the, the son of God. He is Messiah. He comes and he speaks. He's able to speak new things that reveal God at a level we never understood before. In other words, he was presenting fresh revelations about God, not just reminding people about truths Moses and the prophets had already taught. He said he wasn't undermining or discarding those teachings. In fact, he was showing us how to fulfill them. But no one could have known the mysteries he revealed until he revealed them. So in order to follow him, people were forced to use their discernment and study the word to decide if they would trust him. We still do. Here are some ways Jesus taught us to test a new teaching. He, when, you, when, when, when you listen to anything I say, when you listen to anything anybody says, when you listen to something that you think you see in scripture, how do you test it? How do you decide if this is true? Here are four things Jesus said we should use to test. Number one, does God confirm the word with the right kind of miracles? Say the right kind of miracles. There are miracles which don't confirm the word of God. In fact, the Antichrist, when he comes, will do remarkable miracles. It is not confirming him to be genuine. You can't just say the guy did miracles. I, I, can't, I can tell story after story of people who bought into something because a miracle was done. And it was a miracle. But it wasn't the right kind. Jesus says there's a specific kind of miracle that you look for. What is that? Matthew 11, verse 2 through 6. He says, go and report to John what you see and hear. Do you remember the situation? John the Baptist is in jail. He'd been proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. But Jesus hasn't come in power and 
overthrown the Romans or do, done anything that John still thinks he should do. And so he sent a couple of disciples and he said, uh, uh, our, 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 our rabbi says, are you the one we should wait for? Or should we look for another? In other words, oops, maybe you're not the Messiah, Jesus. We thought you'd do more. Remember this? And what did, what did Jesus reply? He said, go and tell John what you see and hear. And, and then he began to list, uh, turn with me there. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote something else. It'll just see where it comes from. But I want you to just see it. Matthew, um, where did I just go? Ma- Matthew 11. Look at Matthew 11. Look what he says. He, he says, go and report to John. I'm at verse 4, now 5. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. What's he quoting from? Quoting from Isaiah, isn't he? Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Those are the right kind of miracles. Not just miracles, because they said, show us a sign. Make the moon come up purple or something. Do, do something weird. You know, levitate. No, no, no. By the way, that passage, when Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the, the gospel to the poor. And then he goes, he's, he has sent me to proclaim. The, that second verse is, explains what it means to be poor. People don't have enough God, he says. So he said, I, I've, been, I've come to, to release the captives, people who are in bondage, recovery of sight to the blind, to heal the sick. To set free those who are oppressed by the devil. And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. To tell people who are full of condemnation and shame that there is grace available. That's the kind of signs you look for. When, 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 when what you're hearing and, and the person who's bringing it and the, and the environment it's in. Are those kinds of miracles taking place? Are people being set free? Or being, are they being put in bondage? Ask yourself, how many screwball religious teachings put people into bondage? Turn them into just absolutely weird people. Not, not beautifully peculiar people. Strange people. Uh, uh, put them into ho- some kind of exploitation. You have to see the right kind of miracles. Are they being set free? Are people actually being healed? I mean, there should be power. God should be showing up somewhere and, and, and bringing healing and deliverance for people, setting people free from demonic bondage and our people finding grace and suddenly full of the joy of the Lord as their sins are forgiven them. Number two is the Holy Spirit confirming this to my conscience. Luke 24, you've got the Emmaus Road. Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us. Jesus will talk another place about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now people get all strange on this. 
It is not saying nasty stuff about the Holy Spirit. That is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to look at a thing of God and to have the Holy Spirit bearing clear witness to your conscience that this is God. And for you, knowing it's God, to say, I don't want it. I call that demonic. To take your integrity and just shatter it. Do you walk in your integrity? If you know it's God, will you, will you serve him? If you know it's God, will you believe it? Some people know it's God. They don't doubt for a minute it is. But they're willing to take that and blaspheme the witness of the Holy Spirit within them, violate it, and, and, and call it demonic, knowing it's not. That, that violation of your integrity, that, that absolute, does something to you that ruins you. I mean, if you really can do that full, full on, uh, it, it's just very, very serious. You don't want to do it. Go ahead and, and say wild, stupid stuff. Go ahead and say, I know it's God, but I don't want to believe it. But don't, don't twist the truth. Just admit, I don't want to do that, man. I don't want to obey him. Fine, that is a perfectly integrous, honest answer. God can deal with that. But to, to lie to yourself and to twist the truth like that, that does something to you. That can be irreversible. Number three, does the Bible really say that? Say that with me, would you? Does the Bible really say that? Luke 24, 44. All things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. So when you hear something, when you hear anything I'm teaching, when you... When you Hear anything. Don't just trust your feelings. Sounds good. Makes sense. You and I need to go to the word and look for it ourselves. You know, some of you are just full of spiritual questions. And you know what I keep saying to you? Go to LMI and take Greek. Now, a bunch of people go, yeah. You know why I say that? You're not going to believe me. You probably sh- and you shouldn't. If you really have these questions, then, then study. Don't be lazy. Go to school. Learn it. Read it in the Greek. See it with your own eyes. Convince yourself. You owe it to yourself and, and, and everybody else to settle some of those issues. May I say to you, I just, I just love it when some of you take me up on that offer. And I can get you in school and I get you to learn these things. That you get worse than me. <laughs> you know why I'm aggressive? I am studying every week in the Greek or the Hebrew if it's in the Old Testament. What I do to prepare my sermon is I go through it in the, in the original and translate it myself. I look up every, about every fifth word. And I check it out in all of its references. I want to know exactly what that word means. 
And, and so I'm going, what, I will look at it here, here, and here, and how does it really get used, and what is the, what is the etymology of that word? I'm just doing that. Am I a nerd? Never mind. <laughs> Why am I doing that? So that I can be certain of what it says. And may I say that as I do unpack it like that, all of a sudden this powerfully clear thing comes forth. And I go, oh yeah, that's beautiful. And then you can get up and you can say, I know what it says. We need to believe this. You can do the same thing. I had someone the other day say to me, no, I'll never preach like you. You've got, you know, because you, and he said something, yeah, anyway. And I said, what you're seeing in me is not intellect. You're seeing work ethic. Did you hear that? You're not seeing intellect. The fact the person talking to me, I think, is smarter than I am, and I mean that sincerely. It has nothing to do with smart. I'm not all that smart. Work ethic. If you'll study the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is so desirous to show you what it means. See, He's on our side. He wants us to know these things. I promise you, spend some time in the Word. Watch it open up to you. Don't just go, I don't know what it means. Well, then get some tools out and start looking. There's ways. I'll be happy to tell you. I'll be happy to point to directions. I'll be happy to show you references. I'll help you. Start opening the word. Find out for yourself. That's what these Bereans did. They heard what Paul said. They, op- they go, let's check it. And, and they went through everything. And they're reading. And they're cross-checking. And they're looking. And they're going, he's right. He's right. That's how they came to the conclusion. They studied it for themselves. Because he was right. Does this teaching produce godly character? Jesus says this, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Be really careful with this. I mean, this is remarkable to me. We had a a major situation here uh, years ago. And many, many people were affected by it. And the the particular situation taught um, both an immorality but also a, a, um, a, a heresy. And over the years, many of the people who were involved in that, I mean, I was just going around and around with this, many people who were involved with that understood that the, t- the leader who taught all of this was deeply immoral. But they never gave up the theology. May I tell you that immoral people don't teach good theology? You know, I, I, I know there's all kinds of stories about wild people, but if, if you're willing to betray your spouse, if you're willing to be a thief, who would trust the word of God to you? Do you realize how many subtle, careful decisions that have to be made that are based where you don't want it to say that and it does? And you're going to have to say what it says only because of your integrity? If you don't have integrity, why would Anyone believe a word you have to say about the most precious things in the world, the truth of God. Jesus says if they're producing thorns, don't listen to them. What does that do to them? The people who teach you, are they moral? Are they clean? Are they humble? Are they loving? Are they Christ-like? Not perfect, but there should be integrity there. 
What kind of people does this produce? We become like the one we worship. We might be angry, judgmental, lawless, proud, or cruel, or violent. I mean, think of the people who, when they get into their religion, become cruel and violent. Or does it produce kind, loving, pure, forgiving people? What does that teaching do? Look at the person who's talking to you. Testing my own heart. So these Bereans force us to ask ourselves some deep personal questions. Am I a Berean? Am I so in love with God that I am driven to know him better? Am I still studying and learning? Or did I decide I already know enough and stop along the way? Do I make spiritual decisions based on my own feelings and judgment? Or have I decided that the Bible will be my final authority in what I believe about God and how I live my life? Do I receive eagerly, examine carefully, and believe obediently? Because if the answer is yes, I'll still be growing on the day I die. And then I really start growing. Would you stand with me? Now, I really feel that the Holy Spirit wants to ask that question. And, and would, you, would you examine your heart? Don't just listen to that going, that's nice. Are you a growing person? Or have you put your spiritual development on hold? Are you coasting? Have you taken responsibility for what you believe? Do you study the word? Do you have a pattern built into your life? Or are you just sort of floating? You know, the Lord showed me something the other day that for, for, for and, and he was probably dealing in, even in my own heart. It is, it is easy for some of us to give a passion and energy and interest, mental commitment to the Seahawks. Oh, I hit a nerve. <laughs> that belongs only to God. I love the Seahawks. I, am, I just got my blue way of the, of the game. Come on. That's not the point. But you're going to watch people who wouldn't miss a game, who are ready to go, who are studying it, who know all the stats, but couldn't find John 3.16. That's right. There is only one we worship, and it is not the Seahawks. Your passion your heart, your energy belongs to him, not them. Enjoy the games. Watch them. They're cool. But he's cooler. So let's look at our lives. Let's, at OSL, if you don't know, if, if you say, oh man, you're talking about Bible study, it is so boring. No, you don't know what you're doing. But take OSL. We will teach you how to have a quality time in the morning with God. Right. Promise. Amen. It's happening to hundreds of people. And they're all saying the same thing. Man, I get it. It's this. Get in there. Get in the Word in the morning. Learn how to, learn how to mine the Word and study the Word. And then get yourself some tools. Right. 
I could put in a cardboard box the number of books that I really need to do what I do. It is not rocket science. It's work. Work that you do, why? Come on, tell me, why, why would you do such work? Because you love God and want to know more about Him. He's, he's the passion of your heart. And you can't stop because you love Him. And you love His Word. So let that passion that belongs to Him Start drawing you deeper and start getting in you in the word and start having times where you, you, you invest in your spiritual development, not just once in a while. Make it regular. Be a Berean, amen? amen? Father God, thank you for the word. Thank you for that you're real. Thank you that we can test this word as hard as we can and it always holds up. There's things we don't understand, but we, as time goes on, Lord, it just becomes more solid, more real, more wonderful. Lord, I pray that you would touch every one of our hearts with fresh love for you and fresh love for your word. That we would energetically, eagerly study your word and let it have its deep work in us. Thank you, Father, for speaking to every one of us and showing us a deeper step. We receive it. We believe it. We trust you for it now. If you agree with that and say, Lord, I, I, you're saying, God, I, I, I do choose to have that heart of a Berean, to be a lifelong learner, to keep growing, to be like Betty Guillory. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be passionate as I move forward. Would you say, yes, Lord? Hear us, our Father. Teach us all. We ask it in Jesus' powerful name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.